Here at Early Excellence, we specialise in early childhood education. We offer expert advice and guidance through training, consultancy and classroom design. With the Early Excellence podcast, we aim to inspire and support you as well as challenge your thinking. So if that's what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. Hello, everybody. Andy Burt here. Happy New Year to you. I hope everybody's well. I hope you're all well. Uh, welcome to our first episode of 2024, which also happens to be, um, in the big scheme of things, episode 98 overall. Um, this week, we're joined by Nigel Plaskett. Now, Nigel is a very experienced puppeteer who has worked on many much-loved TV programs and films as well. Um, as part of our conversation, we talk about all sorts of different things. We talk about Nigel, Nigel's career, which is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And also, that we talk about the magic of using puppets when working with young children. So there's lots here to listen to, lots here that I think will really inspire you and get you thinking. Um, here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with Nigel Plaskett. And uh, it's, it's wonderful that you're here to join us, Nigel. Nigel, thank you so much for joining us. That's my pleasure. Um, would you mind starting? I mentioned that, um, that you've had this broad, wide and varied career in film and television. Would you mind um, starting off by just explaining, I suppose, where that started and, and, and the career that's followed on from that? Would that be OK? Yeah, well, uh, I started quite young uh, in TV and film. Um, I was I, I literally only done one other job before I was an actor and um I had done a, a tour of a play uh, for Bill Kenwright, and um, then I came back to London, and I was approached by somebody that I'd met years before uh, to do if, to do if, to do character voices for a children's TV series that ATV were uh, starting. Um, so I went in and auditioned for this job. It wasn't much of an audition. I just went in and talked to the. Um, the producer about it and he said can you do it and I said yes I can and so he gave me the job <laughs> that doesn't happen these days I can tell you but uh I got the job and I did this show which was called Pipkins uh for 10 years roughly 10 years uh, right the way through the 70s and um I think uh that was the beginning of my working with a vaguely educational um slant on things because the show was inspired by Sesame Street um, the Broadcasting Authority at the time had seen Sesame Street and wanted something for the ITV network that was similar. And so they commissioned four programs. Uh, one was called Rainbow. One was called um, Hickory House. Uh, the other one was called Mr. Trimble. And then there was Pipkins. And we all had a different day of the week uh, to um, um, show our programs. Anyway, so that went on for 10 years, and that was kind of vaguely educational. It was very gentle. It was more about educating children about life and about how to live with people and um, all of those things, rather than teaching ABC or anything like that. We didn't do that. Um, we, it was a very kind of gentle um, thing, a little bit like Sesame Street, although not quite so full on as Sesame Street. Um, and during the time I was making that, which we shot at Elstree Studios, um, um, I, in the next stage, on the next stage, uh, the Jim Henson Company moved in uh, to make The Muppet Show. 
And uh, so I got to know the Hensons uh, a little bit uh, during that time and uh, watched them, of course, doing the Muppet Show, making the Muppet Show. For about four years, they were there off and on. And um, it was really interesting to be able to see what they were doing. And we benefited from it, too, because the the, uh, the techniques they used, uh, we could actually bring into our show. So I was learning all the time on on this, and it and it was a kind for me. It was a it was an in at the deep end experience because I'd had no television experience at all. You, we didn't have video recorders, so I couldn't even really watch what I was doing. Um, so I, about halfway through the run, I got one of the first video recorders, and that enabled me to record it and look back at what I'd been doing much more easily. Um, so I did do quite a lot of that and that was very, very useful. So, um, yeah. Um, so that's kind of really where I had my first brush with, um, with the Henson company, which, um, uh, took me on to doing other things with them. Um, when, when the children's show finished, when, uh, Pipkins finished, which was around 1981, I took a brief uh, hiatus for about two or three years where I decided you know, I was about 30, so I was trying to find, think about what I wanted to do. And um, I decided I wanted to become a producer. So I produced uh, two series of a show called Hegarty Haggerty with um, uh, Yorkshire Television. And that was for very young children, too. It was George Cole reading um, a series of stories. Uh, and that was successful. It was successful. But I decided at the end of that that that's not what I wanted to do. So so I uh, I decided I'd go back to performing and make some money because <laughs> I wasn't making any money as a producer. Uh, anyway, so uh, just at that time, uh, they were about to start the second series of Splitting Image. And uh, I'd heard that they two of the people who were um, originally going to do, or who had done the first series, uh, had decided, or it was decided, that they were going to leave. Um, and so I stepped into that. Um, and for the next 13 years, I uh, did Spitting Image off and on. It was uh, other things were going along as well. Uh, and that was a very different thing. And it was during that time that I uh, started working for uh, the Henson Company with a film called Labyrinth, um, which we shot at Elstree again. And um, I was doing Spitting Image at the time, so I couldn't work on it as much as I'd have liked. But uh, I did do a week shooting a song called Dance Magic Dance, which you may know, Andy, I think. is that Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was saying to you the, the other day, we had a, a call the other day in, in sort of the lead up to, to this. And I, was, I was saying to you that uh, in our household, uh, we're big music fans anyway, but uh, my 13-year-old son is a, is a huge David Bowie fan. And uh, and so I, I couldn't possibly let you let you go without asking you about about being in in labyrinth and performing along with your with your puppets performing alongside David Bowie. So yeah, yeah. yeah. What was that like? Well, it was a very interesting experience. He was great. He was absolutely great. This this is quite interesting because you know he he wasn't hugely experienced in film. Um, he'd done a bit, but he hadn't done very much and. Uh, he was very accommodating because when you're shooting a puppet film, you've got all sorts of problems that you encounter that you don't encounter when you're making an ordinary film. You've got to watch out for people's heads coming into shot, which is the main thing, you know, and all the bits that you don't want to see. Not quite so important now because there are so many ways you can uh, eradicate things from, you know, electronically 
but back in 1985 when we did it uh, there was very little um, um, rescue there really so um, so, but he was great. He was great. And this was a, an experience I repeated a bit later with Michael Caine as well, who was also great about um, shooting with puppets when he did um, um, a Christmas Carol, Muppet Christmas Carol, which I also worked on. Uh, but but to do doing Labyrinth, as I said, it took us about a week to shoot that song. And he was great about everything that we had to do. It was complicated. And... Um, he was uh, just a nice guy to work with. And, I, you know, I didn't have much to do with him personally because I was doing background stuff. But um, there was one occasion when, when I did actually, uh, my colleague insisted he, he wanted a picture taken with him, you see. So we chased him into the dressing rooms. I took the picture of my colleague with him. He was very accommodating. Uh, but then my colleague, to make himself look a little less silly, insisted I had the picture taken with him as well. <laughs> So he was very patient, and he and so we both had our picture taken, and that's my one souvenir that I have uh, from the film is me and him. Uh, but no, it was a great experience, and it's it's a curious film, um, yeah, but it was a really nice film, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and um, of course we're recording this in the run up to Christmas. In fact, it's the the first of December today. So um, in terms of the Muppets Christmas Carol, um, that's going to be. Played an awful lot of, I would have thought, over the next sort of three or four weeks, um, you know, over the Christmas period. I'm sure lots of people will be going back to what is now an absolute classic in terms of Christmas films. Um, yeah. Can you tell us your, about your involvement in that? Because that's yeah. amazing to be involved in a film like that. Yeah, it was a, a, a great privilege, really, because, as you say, it's a classic. And uh, a, a lot of teachers have pointed out uh, to me and others that. Um, it's very, very close to the original. Mm. And in fact, in, in the way we, uh, we did it, um, Gonzo, as Charles Dickens, uh, uses a lot of dialogue from the book. It is actually taken straight from the book. And uh, his, uh, I don't think the rat is in the book, actually, uh, Rizzo the rat. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, Gonzo is the Charles Dickens character. And I had a lot of fun doing it. I have to say, I did loads of the things I can remember because I was on it for about four or five months. And uh, I remember doing lots of rats clearing up the uh, the uh, Scrooge's office. There's a song um, where yeah. we all cl we clear it up. So I did a lot of that. I did penguins. I did. I can remember doing penguins. I walked up and down the street behind Michael Caine singing another song uh, for days and days. Um, what else? Uh, oh, there were so many things, really, that uh, it's difficult to totally remember. It's about 30 no, years ago. I'm sure. I'm sure. But but it's it funny, is... though, as, as you're saying it, as you're, <laughs> as you're talking about the bits that you were involved in, the parts that you were involved in, I can picture them, you know, and I'm sure that'll be the same for many people who are listening along. But actually, you can picture the, 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 the particular part in the film. You know, Michael Caine walking along the street, singing a song and... Yeah. and um, and oh, is it, it's Kermit's nephew, isn't it? That is the is the younger frog, and I can't. Yeah, uh, yes, he, tiny, it's tiny Tim. Tim. Yeah. yeah, and um, so yeah, I can picture that particular bit of the film. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's very interesting looking back, and I do remember one very clear image is because at the end of the movie, 
um, there's a, a shot with us all around the table um, at the end as it kind of pulls back and goes through the window and then goes over the rooftops and into the credits. Uh, it's Michael Caine sitting at the head of the table. And I, I know that, I, that in that shot, I was doing Beaker, who is just over his left shoulder. And uh, that, that's one I can remember. But, and, and a similar shot, on enough, on Labyrinth, where Sir Dinimus is sitting on the bed. And, uh, and the same thing happens. It's sort of formulaic, you know, and there's hundreds of Muppets all around the bed. I was doing Sir Didymus in that shot because Dave Golds, who was who was Sir Didymus, had already gone back to California at that point to do something else. So, yes, uh, and a lot of the stuff that I do on the Muppet movies is is doubling for the guys that uh, that play the characters uh, regularly. So it could be any of the characters, you know, on Treasure Island, which I also did. Uh, I did some of the uh, Kermit stuff that was radio controlled. Uh, while Steve, who was playing Kermit at the time, um, was actually doing the physical body. Uh, wow. Gosh, what amazing things to be involved in. It's really fun. It, it is. Uh, I tell you, the one good thing about doing a, uh, some sort of fantasy films, which is most of the films that I've done, is that the sets are just extraordinary. And mm -hmm. the, the, the genius of the set designers and builders in this country is just fantastic. And you go in, and, and and all most of the stuff we shoot with the Muppets, not quite so much in the last film that we did, which was uh, Muppets Most Wanted. But but even then, we built the um, the top of the um, Tower of London in a state on a stage, and and using blue screens, they, it looks like they're on the top of the Tower of London. Yeah, we couldn't use the top of the Tower of London because the roof wouldn't take the weight of the crew. But um, uh, so they had to rebuild it, but things like that, and and the um, the uh, Goblin City in Labyrinth was huge. It was on the Star Wars stage at Elstree. It was huge, and we had the rap party on that stage, and um, they had two bands playing one at either end of the, uh, the stage, and you couldn't hear. It's so big you couldn't hear one band from the other because we were all in the Goblin City at that point. It's amazing. It, is. it really is. Yeah, it's good it's fun. Yeah. And of course, you've you've continued your work with puppets and in television right the way up to the present day. So you know, yeah. so you've you've absolutely carried that. You know, what started off as as you being involved in in one television program, and then has led on to all of these different roles in in film and television. You've carried that on right to the present day. So so could you tell us what you're involved in in at the moment? Would that be all right? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, well, at the moment, what we tried to do about, um, it was actually about 10 years ago, um, mm -hmm. we, we started the process and it was, um, we tried to revive uh, Pipkins, which we had mm -hmm. been, which we'd done in the 70s. Uh, myself and a couple of the writers got together with some other people um, with, um, uh, and we tried to revive it, but they couldn't find out who actually owned the rights to the show. Because uh, ATV had been sold so many times since it lost the, the franchise to do to, to transmit, um, they tried to find out who actually owned the rights, and ITV were not sure that they did own the rights. And so we felt we couldn't really take the chance that uh, we'd, we'd shoot a show and then someone would come out of the woodwork and say, "I, I own the rights to this. You can't show it." So, um, so what we decided to do was uh, start again. We took a similar premise, I will say. It was, I would say it was inspired by Pipkins rather than anything else. 
Um, some of the characters are similar, um, but uh, it's called Monty and Co. And it's on CBB's, uh, on the CBB's iPlayer right now. So if you want to, you, you can go to the CBB's iPlayer and search uh, Monty and Co. Uh, there's 33 episodes, I think, on there. And you can also buy it on Amazon, uh, which you can buy the box set to stream. Um, but uh, it's a very similar show. It, um, it uh, uh, treats education, if you like, in a very gentle way, in a similar way that we did with Pipkins. Um, and people say to us, oh, well, it's quite slow paced. And, you know, and children these days don't want uh, slow paced stuff. But to be absolutely honest with you, I think that's nonsense. Uh, that's just TV executive speak, um, because um, really, uh, the interesting thing was that, uh, that about, uh, again, about 10 years ago, um, uh, they bought out some DVDs of Pipkins, um, which uh, were released and are on sale. Um, and I got lots of emails from parents of children who said, I watched this as a kid. And now I've got children of my own. I, um, I'm showing it to them. And they all want more. They just want the next episode. They want, the, the, you know, some of them are about watching it, you know. Um, so really, I think children haven't changed, actually. Mm. It's the adults who have changed their kind of uh, opinions of, uh, you know, they, everybody wants to do to make it better. You know, mm. but in my view, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, no. leave it. It, yeah. it works. I, yeah. Uh, it was one of the things actually that stood out to me in, in the in the run up to to speaking to you. I watched some of the episodes, and one of yeah. the things that stood out to me was the the gentle pace of it, and how actually it would be. I think for young children, quite calming, yeah. and that thinking about that sort of, I suppose, children's personal, social, and emotional development. Really, that actually that watching something that is has a certain pattern to it a certain flow to it because there's a sort of a, a kind of a structure that keeps coming back within each within each episode that I think actually that is important that that those sorts of those, those sort of rep, that those gentle repetitions are things that actually help us to feel I think as young children feel secure and and yeah. to know what's coming there aren't any sort of nasty surprises around the corner it's done quite gently and I, I think there's a lot to be said for that, really. I think there is. And, you know, there's such a lot of frantic stuff thrown at children these days. It really is, you know, frantic, some of it quite violent, um, even if it's kind of, you know, masked or hidden, but it is, and threatening. And we aim not to do that. But what we want to do is to is to explain to children Things like differences, for example, there are differences. Everybody's different, you know. Certainly, the characters in the show are all different. They're very different, you know. They're all animal. Yeah, they're all animals. And um, I'm just trying to make sure that I was mostly animals anyway. Um, I'll say that to cover myself. Uh, they're mostly animals. So uh, what we didn't want to do was run into problems of, of uh, uh, racial uh, problems or. Uh, um, uh, stereotyping or anything like that. We wanted to try and keep keep mm. all of that out of it because really what we were trying to do is is to teach the children how to live with your neighbours and be a happier person, you know. And and all the all the stories, some of them involve conflict, but they 
always get resolved by the end of the uh, 15 minute program so yeah we aim for a resolution and um and it happens and you know everybody's not perfect and if you watch the the epilogues on each of the programs there's a character well the main character called monty um he um he shows his fallibility if you like during those epilogues um where he doesn't always recognize his own weaknesses so it's 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 not sort of all happy and light it is it does involve conflict and so forth so but we found that really to be very useful yes yeah i think there's there's quite a depth of character there as well yeah. i noticed that that you know when particularly monty that when you meet monty he he's a bit of a worrier yeah, you know, he's he's somebody that's concerned about kind of what he's going to think or what's going to happen next, and all of those sorts of things. And certainly, the episodes I I watched were, you could see sort of the other characters kind of sort of kind of nurturing him and supporting him and telling him about things that that you know that that are out there in the wider world and you know those sorts of things, which is I think is a re- is a lovely starting point for children children who are viewing children who are watching getting to for themselves getting to know about that wider world and also empathizing with the character yeah well he does have a bravado that is kind of surface uh, mm. but when he's on his own with the children very often he talks to the camera or he talks to himself and you can see his weaknesses and his worries you know and mm. that, those come out uh, and sometimes he lets it show you know to the others and um uh, we uh, all of us are fallible nobody is infallible so you know it's it's um we feel it's really done its job and we're you know hoping that we will be able to do make some more of them there's as i said there's 33 of them out there now at the moment um mm. uh, 34 if you actually go on um on uh amazon because the bbc wouldn't take one of the programs okay they, de- they deemed it um it was it was it was a it was about anger. It was a program about anger, okay. um, and it showed one of the characters being angry. But again, we resolved it at the end and talked mm. about anger. But the BBC wouldn't take that, so oh, interesting. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, and we mentioned just a minute or two ago that that idea that that Monty gets to know about the wider world. That there's a, there's a there is very much a, a, a sort of a gentle educational element to to the program isn't there yeah. um so in the in the episodes that i watched he went to the moon um and or, or certainly had that didn't physically go to the moon but had that experience the other characters um talked about going to the moon and then creating a sort of imaginative idea of what that would look like and what what the experience would be like and then there are within other episodes there's a sort of similar kind of idea of kind of exploring other other places or other experiences. Could you could you talk us through that? Yeah, well, we, well one of the things we try to do is to encourage play. So um, it's curious that um, uh, going back to Pipkins um, 50 years ago, uh, one of the episodes we did there was involving uh, creating a, well, they were playing cowboys and they created this stagecoach out of cardboard boxes. Uh, many years later, uh, I met someone who said to me, I, I was a big fan of Pipkins. I watched, I remember very clearly the episode where you made a stagecoach. 
and it encouraged me to go and, and make things of my own. And, and now he's a theatre designer. So wow. he, he, that was, I mean, that's jumping at quite a long, a lot of years, but um, but it, it pointed out to me that, you know, in doing something very simple like that, you stimulate the imagination of this one person who eventually went on to become a designer. I mean, he had a lot of other talents, obviously, as well. But if he didn't mm. have the talent, he wouldn't have been able to make it. But but it was a beginning. And so yeah. in, in the episodes you talk about uh, in Monty, which is the uh, moon episode, uh, Monty has built himself a rocket ship out of cardboard boxes. And you can see very clearly it's, uh, you know, it's, a, you know, a toy. And, uh, and, they, and then he makes a, a helmet, you know, out of a cardboard box. Uh, and the idea of that being it's to stimulate uh, making stuff and playing and, mm-hmm. um, and experimenting. And, and throughout the series, there is uh, quite a bit of making. We don't sit down and say, now, here's one I made earlier. It's not that sort of, it's not that sort of making. But it's involved in the action, and it's always made quite clear that some one of them has made it or is making it. So there's quite a lot, lot of making going on through the series. So uh, and it's always involved with play and um, and role playing and all those sort of things that are, uh, are brought together in these in these things. Yes, yeah. Um, it struck me as well that um, certainly when I was watching the program that. Um, I could imagine that uh, parents with young children, it's the sort of program that you would want to watch together with your children. Yeah. That, and I didn't know, I, I'm, I'm guessing that that's something that is that you set out to do. We um, did. Or, whether, or is it a happy accident? I don't know. But it, it certainly seemed to me like the sort of thing that actually, my children are older now, they're teenagers, but actually when, you know, that when they were kind of preschool age, maybe sort of um, maybe three or four, that actually kind of sitting with them and watching a very gentle program like that where we, we kind of knew the characters and we knew this and we were sort of very much sort of following it through. I could imagine watching together. And I, I think that's that's something that is important, I think. You know, that that it's about a relationship as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. And and yes, uh, it is intentional. Um curiously that kind of stemmed from Pipkins because we got a lot of um you know, once we once we had interaction with the audience, once the internet was here, so in other words, in the last twenty years, mm-hmm. um, we noticed that a lot of people said, "I used to watch this with my child," and and so we were um, keen to make it so that it would have an attraction. I'm, I'm not saying we wrote it for the adults, no, but it does have um, a kind of double level that it's written on. It is written really for the children, uh, but we also wanted to make it so that the the adults would smile again every now and again. You know, it's something that wasn't particularly obvious to a child. But, um, yeah. um, but uh, you know, so yes, it, it, it is intentional because we feel that it's important that uh, parents spend time with their children and they just don't put them in front of the TV as a kind of childminding thing. Mm-hmm. So making it a, a appealing to adults as well um, means that you get the best of both worlds, I suppose. Yes, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I also noticed as well, sort of, again, I don't know whether they were intentional or whether they were, whether it's part of that sort of uh, being influenced by, but I noticed certain things that I, that were almost like little references to probably other things that you've been involved in. So um, things like I noticed sort of the, um, 
the puppets in the background and when in in one part of the, the some of the episodes that i watched were things like sort of talking cabbages in the background yeah which i thought <laughs> that's just like muppets christmas carol you have those in you know they were definitely there within the some of the shots within muppets christmas carol yeah and so you know that kind of it's all and, and also that idea of of kind of one character getting to know about something else in the wider world reminded me a little bit of like a sort of Fraggle Rock kind of idea yeah. where one of the characters went physically went out and had a look at the wider world and can kind of reported back, if I remember rightly. Yes, you know, that's that kind right. Of idea. So there were little hints of, of other things that I think you've probably been involved in. You're right. There is, yeah. First of all, the, the background action kind of came from spitting image when i uh, when we used to do quite a bit of stuff in the background particularly if the producer wasn't sure of a sketch he thought it might be failing he'd say oh just put something interesting in the background and so we became very adept at that um anyway uh yes so that was partly that uh the talking cabbage yes who is um chloe chloe the cabbage who has aspirations to be a lettuce, but she's never quite got there. Um, so Chloe, yes, kind of comes from the Muppeteering thing. And that was really the idea of Paul Germain, who made the puppets. He said, uh, I'd really love to make some characters like the Muppets, you know, and did. And, and so he came up with a load of characters. And there's a bee, there's a, a worm, there's um, uh, Chloe the cabbage. Um, so uh, that was... It was it was really a kind of um, uh, group effort when when that's con- as far as that's concerned. There was a lot of um, people contributing, so it was it was great to be able to use it all. And you know, you can watch the program several times, and you'll see something different going on uh, in the background, or you know. So that's kind of why we'd like to make it rich, not all the time, but you know, where particularly in the greenhouse, I think. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it also made because of course the the program itself, it's it is very much focused on the puppets. Yeah. Um, I wanted to to chat to you about puppets themselves, generally, yeah. uh, and puppets when working with young children, which I think will strike a chord with many of the people who will listen to our podcast, who I'm sure as as teachers or as practitioners working with young children, will have used puppets at some point and. I wanted to sort of just raise that idea of, of I, th- I, th- I think there's a magic there that happens in a way when when you have when you introduce a puppet to young children that that there is this magic that happens where where they don't even think about how that puppet's being operated they don't they just focus on the puppet so even though they may may well be able to see that actually how it's being operated they they see they don't see it. It's almost right. invisible to them. And I think right. there's, this, there's this wonderful magic that happens where suddenly the, the puppet takes on a life of its own. And That's it true. Could, be, could be cheeky or naughty or, or make mistakes or whatever else. And actually, that's a, a brilliant thing as part of use within the classroom. Because yeah. if you've got some, somebody or something making mistakes in a, in, a, in a gentle way, then actually the children can, can start to say, well, I'm going to correct you. You know, so if yeah. you've got a puppet, for example, that's counting but missing out a number, then actually you've got the, the children shouting out, no, it's number three or number four's next or whatever else. It's a great way of finding out where they're at. And 
So I wanted to just ask you about that kind of idea of the magic of working with, with puppets, with young yeah. children. Well, I don't have a lot of experience of one-to-one on this, but when we were starting Monty, when we'd finished it, we took one of the episodes, two of the episodes into a school uh, and we showed it to the children and we taped their reactions so that we could, you know, see where they were engaged and where they weren't and so forth. And it was actually pretty good. We were very happy to say so. But at the same time, I took Monty with me. And uh, and I just sat there with him on my hand uh, in front of the class, and and he talked to them. Uh, and I've noticed this before, ever since I started. Whenever you take a, a puppet out with a child, there, my niece, for example, I used to use with uh, uh, the Pipkins puppets. Occasionally, I would have them at home. So uh, she was about three or four at the time. She's a natural history unit producer at the BBC at the moment, but. Uh, uh, she um, she used to, she would, we'd have this conversation. She'd be talking to Hartley, the puppet, and I'd be sitting there just next to her, you know, with the, with the puppet on my hand, and um, there wouldn't be any question that she, she knew that it was me. I'm not a ventriloquist, so I don't, I'm not able to speak without moving my lips. She would look at me as as uh, um, as I spoke sometimes, but she would also look at the puppet. But when she spoke, when she answered or had a question or whatever, she would always look at the puppet and ask the um, ask the puppet. And that's my experience over the years. And to see a class full of children with me and Monty flicking between Monty and me, you know, as I spoke, they would look at me, but then they would refer to the puppet again. So uh, as he spoke, um, it was fascinating. And I, I do know that, um, um, not from my own experience, but from talking to others, that uh, a lot of people uh, use puppets in the classroom, uh, for particularly for children with special needs, with autism or whatever. Um, um, they can uh, relate to the puppet. They can talk to the puppet. They can perform the puppet, you know, sometimes. Um, and 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 it has worked that children who have either had no or very little speech have started talking uh, through the puppet, you know, or to the puppet or whatever the, the connection is. Yeah. There is something about it not being real. And I, I suspect it goes back to um, when you're a child and you have your your dolls or whatever and you make them live, you know, because yeah. if you watch a child playing with dolls, they will have a voice. And they'll mm. move the character. It's very similar to that. Uh, yeah. And they are able to suspend belief when talking to this character. The other good thing about uh, puppets in the classroom is um, is it gives you the opportunity, and this is not my field at all, but it gives you the opportunity to actually make what you call junk puppets. You know, you can make the puppets first so the child can make a character and then bring it to life. And maybe they can put on a play or maybe they do a play themselves, whatever. It's a really, really good way to get children uh, moving, going. And uh, and for those, particularly for those that have communications difficulties, um, it's a good way for them to um, to start. And I'm, there's lots of um, information about this out there, I think. Um there's a place called the Puppet Centre Trust, which is kind of, I think, exists to be uh, a link to educational 
use of puppets. So, um, and of course, uh, around the country, there are several theatres which usually have an educational outreach. Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. I think um, it, I've seen that as well, that when children, going back to what you were saying about when children, perhaps with maybe with special educational needs or may, or perhaps with with a, a, a any particular speech difficulty, you know, maybe they're maybe just a reluctant speaker. You know, yeah. that actually um, when the, when they are operating a puppet, using a puppet, that they will, it's almost like they, um, if they're going to, if they, if they're using a puppet, the focus is on the puppet. It's not on them. The emphasis is on that. There's no pressure there. No. So nobody, they know that nobody's looking at them. They're looking at that. Everybody's looking at the puppet. And so it's almost like that when they do the voice for that puppet or a sound for that puppet, that actually, you know, I'm just bringing this to life. It's just what I do. Yeah. So it takes away the awkwardness, perhaps, of, you know, if, if, if a child is feeling very insecure about using their own voice, it takes away some of that, I think. I yeah. think there's, a, yeah, I think there's a, a lot to be said for it. And it's certainly worth an experiment with it, even, you know, even if it's not successful, it's certainly worth to try it mm. because yeah. it's, a, it is an option that I know has worked for some. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It also made me think about, you know, that talking about making puppets, it made, just made me think about, you know, for myself previously as an earliest teacher. Um, one of the things that I can remember back in terms of doing that I think worked really well was making sock puppets. Yeah. Just the simplest version yeah. of any kind of puppet, you know, the sock puppet. Yeah. But it works an absolute treat. It really did. And, you know, I basically started it with making my own sock puppet and then using it, using it as part of my teaching, yeah. so using it when we were counting and things like that. And then uh, and then basically as an activity, the children make the children making their own sock puppets was so simple, you know, literally just two googly eyes. Yeah. And I think we had um, a piece of felt for a tongue, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And we were away. And we, we used it as a follow-up to, to things like mathematics. So we would be sort of talking about my counting puppet and then whether they could their counting puppet could also count out a number of whatever it was. Yeah. And it's, it's such a simple thing to do, but really, really effective. Yeah, it is. It is. And if you think about it, uh, that's exactly what Kermit is. He's a sock puppet. Uh, in fact, Jim Henson made him from his mother's dressing gown, I think, originally. Yes. And uh, it's very simple. It's just two eyes and a mouth. Uh, mm. You've got the body and the arms, of course. Um, another character that I've been involved with is uh, the monkey, uh, who is the PG Tips ad. Um, oh, yes. Has been in the past, anyway, um, maybe again. Um, but um, um, he is a very simple sock puppet, originally made by the Henson Company, funnily enough. Uh, latterly by Paul, who made our puppets for um, Monty and Co. But essentially, that is a sock puppet. It's very simple. It has no bells and whistles. It just opens and shuts its mouth and has an engaging look. Mm. So, wow. yeah, put yeah. the sock on your hand and, and experiment. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, I think as well, the other thing that, that stru has struck me throughout about your work is is the humour in it. You know, and obviously some of the times that is more obvious than others in terms of, say, spitting image, a particular form of humour. But it's there throughout, you know, the, the particularly you know, in all of the 
the, the sort of the work with the Muppets. Yeah. There's a, there's a there's a lovely gentle humour to it right yeah. the way through. And yeah. so and so when you then introduce the educational element, the humour's still there. Yeah. So it's not about kind of passing or failing or getting it right or getting it wrong because you've built the relationships and because you've got that gentle, lovely warmth around it. Mm. It's about finding things out and about the enjoyment of finding out new things, not about getting it wrong or right. No, and I, th- I think right. that's, that's, you know, you create a culture, I suppose, yeah. within a program or within, you know, when working with puppets that enables you to do that. Yeah, that's true. And um, I, I mean, I, you're right. There is a lot of humour in it. And, and and so in a way, it was nice to have a character like Monty, um, who is fallible and who isn't always the nicest of people. And he has his bad moments, as we all do. You know, um, he is every man in that way, you know. So, um, well, every woman, should I say as well? Sorry. Um, but also, um, you know, it, because it, everything I've done has been kind of comedy and humour. It was so nice when I got to play the villain once. When I did, uh, I did uh, the. It, this was this wasn't puppets. It was a voice for um, uh, Captain Black in uh, Captain Scarlet, which was Jerry Anderson's uh, last production. Uh, it, he, I played the villain in that, <laughs> and it was it was just great to be unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh but no the rest of it all has um has been very interesting um it, it, it's very interesting how how uh adults react to puppets these days because mm. um i've also been involved with uh, avenue q which is uh, a, a musical uh based on a it's a parody of sesame street uh but it's very much not for children it is an adult piece and um they, they behave in exactly the same way as children do. So, you know, we never really grow up, I don't think. No. There's always the child in us. So the, I'll, I'll describe what I mean, because Avenue Q is played uh, with Sesame Street-type puppets, so they're very Muppety-looking. Um, but you see the actor as well playing it, so there's no uh, there's no hiding the, um, the actor. So, again, it's going back to what I was saying earlier about sit, being there. Um, but the uh, audience, which is an adult audience, watches the puppets. They yeah. occasionally reference you. You do, you know. I've, I've tried this myself because I've watched the show, uh, and you flick between the two, but you're not really aware of that doing that. Uh, but most of the time, you watch the puppets. Some of that is because they've got very big eyes, and uh, it, like a Disney character, they attract. You know. They were done. Things are done for a reason, um, but um, it's very interesting how, even as adults, you still don't look at the uh, performer if he's if he's there. So yeah. I like yeah, to think it. that's the child in all of us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and yeah, it, that goes back to that the magic of puppets, doesn't it? Whether we are whether we're young, very young children just encountering puppets for the first time or whether yeah. actually as adults there's something very much magical about it there is and it's not always the case some people are terrified of them i've never really understood why uh, but uh, some people don't like it and you have to accept that but uh, i feel sorry that they they can't uh, yeah. deal with it but yeah some, sometimes they perhaps they've had bad experiences with, with yeah. the puppet <laughs> 
Sure. Um, Nigel, it's been lovely to speak to you. I, I feel like I ought to let you go because um, I'm taking up such a lot of your time. But it has been absolutely lovely to speak to you and, and fascinating also to hear about, you know, the, the different productions that you've been involved in and, and also about about Monty and Co, you know, bringing it right up to date in terms of kind of what you're involved in at the moment and what's out there at the moment in terms of your work. Um, the I think you mentioned earlier on where Monty and Co is in terms of people being able to watch it. But would you would you mind just just mentioning again for us? Would that be all right? Just let yes. us know where where is it? Where can people find it? On the iPlayer, BBC iPlayer. Uh, it's on the CBB section. Uh, in fact, if you search uh, Monty and Co uh, on the iPlayer, you will it'll come up. And there's 33 episodes there. You can also um get it um on amazon which you which is a which is a purchase which you can then own for to stream forever so i'm told uh it's on very it, it, i i don't know how international you are but um uh, it is in various other countries as well but we have a website as well yeah. montyandco.co.uk and there is information on there fantastic we are we are completely international nigel Good. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, it has been lovely to speak to you. Lovely to speak to you. All the very best. And Thank you. Uh, yeah, take care and all the yeah, all the best with the with the with Monty and Co. Sounds Thanks, fantastic. Andy. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. So there you have it. Um, thank you so much to Nigel Plaskett for joining us for this week's podcast. Um, we absolutely loved talking to Nigel. It was it was such such a great something a bit different, wasn't it, for the podcast um, to talk about film, to talk about TV, to talk about puppets as well. Um, yeah, something a little bit different, but it was great. Um, in fact, we watched Muppets Christmas Carol as a family over Christmas. I mentioned, I think, that the episode was recorded just before Christmas. We watched the, the Muppets Christmas Carol during Christmas uh, with the whole family, and I couldn't help but point out all of the bits that Nigel mentioned in the, in the, in the recording just then. I couldn't help but point out all of the bits that he'd been involved in. Um, yeah, it was great. Absolutely loved chatting to him. So, yeah, really useful stuff, really interesting things uh, to get you thinking about puppets as well and the power power of puppets certainly something really magical i think when you work with young children using puppets within the book area using puppets as part of your directed teaching um is it something that you do i know it's not something that's new of course nothing's really that new is it but it's always good to come back to certain things you know sometimes we forget don't we that we used to use certain things as part of our teaching and puppets might be one of those things for you you know is it something that maybe you used to use a lot maybe you've just got out of the habit of doing if so hopefully this has got you thinking a little bit more about it okay so anyway i hope you found it useful thank you very much for listening um, that's about it from us for this week um, but we'll see you next week have a good week everybody and we'll see you next time mm-hmm.